everybody to another episode of the Overdue Rentals podcast, the podcast where we talk about films that maybe they never got enough attention when they first came out. Maybe they were big award winners when they first came out, but nobody seems to talk about them anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today we are joined by the host of Collider's Ladies Night, Perry Nemiroff. Perry, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, hi, hi. I'm happy to see your faces and I'm happy to be talking about this specific movie. I didn't actually, Perry, I realized I've said your name plenty of times. I didn't butcher your last name, did I? Have you ever say, say it again? Nemiroff. Yeah. Okay, no. good. You know, it's, it's one of those things, like, I, I, I realized I said it out loud so many times, but then I said it, I'm like, wait, am I, like, missing a syllable or putting the accent in the wrong place? Nope, nope. <laughs> Nemiroff, just like the vodka. Not that anyone actually drinks the vodka in the U.S. that I know of, but it's there. But it's not ours. I'm not related to that. <laughs> we just drink it because it says our name on the bottle and we think it makes us cooler. You have a whole closet full of it, don't you? I have uh, not a whole closet full, but I have a couple of empty bottles that I'll just like leave out as decoration and, you know, put dried flowers in and stuff because it's kind of cool. That's exactly why I need to get some bottles of Ancho Reyes. <laughs> Especially well, what am I going to get? <laughs> We're going to have to create something for you. Like, I'm thinking maybe a sangria. Like, well, there's, a, there's a Matus Rosé, I believe. So, ooh. So, yeah. you can do with that. But not to belabor the point too long. I'm, I'm sorry. Actually, when I checked on your name, I realized I cut Mike off because we are, as Halloween's approaching, Perry is here to talk to us about. Now, I actually, I believe everywhere it says 2007, some places it says 2008, but trick or treat. Yes, 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 yes. And that is for a very important reason that we will definitely be talking about tonight. But yes, it is technically 2009's Trick or Treat, but it's supposed to be 2007's Trick or Treat. And it is a perennial favorite of mine and obviously of Ms. Nemirov's. That is an anthological horror story where one night in a sleepy Ohio town, all hell breaks fucking loose. It is glorious. <laughs> It is gorgeous, and I have loved Michael Dorgan's work ever since. But yeah, I think that's basically the, uh, the, the, the best synopsis we can give. So if anybody does want to shut us off and go watch the movie, go do that. But I know you're going to want to listen. So we're just going to talk about it from this point on. Trick or treat, spoilers and everything. Yes. Harry. I love this movie. <laughs> what was your introduction to this movie? Um... My introduction was definitely in 2009, and then it just became an obsession because, uh, what was it, Fearnet used to do the 24-hour marathon on Halloween, and I would just, like, I would just sit there for many hours, and I would watch the movie over and over and over again, and now that that channel doesn't exist anymore, I do my own marathons where I just kind of, like, leave it playing all day on Halloween, but <laughs> I am just, I'm full-blown obsessed with this movie. I've seen it more times than I can count, and it just, it feels like one big celebration of Halloween. And there's no quicker way to crawl into my heart than by giving me a movie that does that. It really is. This is, this is like the Christmas story of Halloween. Like yeah. right down to the marathon. And just, it, it has so much of the holidays DNA in it that you can just tell that this is someone that grew up with a love like a love of this holiday and everything that it represents. Uh, Matthew, how did you get turned on a trick or treat? Yeah, it's funny because I had seen it before, but I, it's, it's one of those movies where I saw in pieces. 
like preparing to talk about it today was the first time I actually watched it in its entirety from start to finish. Ooh. And it's also funny too, because one of those films that even though I was aware when it came out, um, it's still in my mind feels like it came out even earlier. Like it was like a 2001, 2002 type of thing. And so by the time it came out, when people were talking about it, it felt that they were talking about the missing gem from the years prior that you hadn't seen yet, even though it had just come out. Um, and so it's interesting to finally now sit and watch it in one felt swoop. I don't know, and I don't know why. I don't. I can't honestly remember why it was something that I had when I first seen it. I just didn't finish it the first time, and then picked it up in the middle. You know, it just it never had a good explanation. I think, and I think it's one of those things that because it was so well regarded by the horror fanatical, um, you know, fan base that maybe I just like kind of started to dismiss it in my mind somehow because of that. Uh, and I never went back to like finish it up until today, up until well, yesterday. I get that. I feel like I was, I was uh, behaving that way with Ted Lasso recently mm. where everyone had seen it. It had already started its awards run. And because I hadn't seen it yet, I'm like, I'm just not going to watch. Like you guys are all like miles ahead of me. Forget. And then I watched and I'm like, why didn't I just watch it sooner? It's really weird. That whole phenomenon of, okay, everybody's talking about it. And there's like that fine line between, okay, I'm going to jump on this because everyone's discussing it. I don't want to be left out or, <laughs> okay, I'm going to hang back a little. I'm going to let you guys do your thing. And I'll, I'll be there. I swear. I promise. Just one more drink and I'll be there. But my, I was someone that was in on the ground floor hmm. also. Uh, I remember following this in like the early aughts, like before I was even in professionally with online movie journalism, obviously as like a fan of that sort of thing, reading sites like Bloody Disgusting or, you know, Ain't It Cool News back in its heyday all this talk about trick-or-treat was filtering in. But then the biggest conversation that surrounded this movie was the fact that it was supposed to be out in 2007. Warner Brothers pulls it from the schedule and no one knows why. But the prevailing, at least that, that I knew of, the prevailing theory was kids die in this movie. And because Warner Brothers was afraid that kids die in this movie, they didn't want to release it theatrically. So we had to wait two whole years with people getting to see it in festival screenings and all that. And then this is one of the last eras that they, you could actually do this. It was still the, the DTV era, the direct-to-video era where, you know, Disney kind of kicked it off with their animated films. And then it turned into Warner Brothers Premium, Warner Premium, which I don't even know if they exist anymore outside of DC movies at this point. But they just put this whole movie like on DVD, like, here you go, a full form movie. No, you don't have to go to a movie theater to watch it. Just here's a disc. And I remember renting this and just first viewing already was in, was hooked. It was, it's one of those movies where it, you can tell it's a personal favorite and it, you're never the same after. Feels like we're always talking about the fact that you know, they don't make slasher movies like they used to. How long has it been since we've added an iconic slasher to the lineup? Like, Sam is on that lineup. Sa Sam, I would probably say it's Sam and the Babadook. Those are mm. probably the only two recent. Sam, the Babadook, and maybe Jigsaw. Those are the two, you know, 2000 yeah. on yeah. that I can yeah. think that go on that lineup. If your character is being sold in Spirit Halloween, you've yeah. made 
Sam well, has made it. Well, it's, it's, it's funny too, because I mean, I know that they're working on finally having a sequel come out, but, and, and well, I will disagree with, disagree with you on the Babadook, because I understand why people want the Babadook, but that's such a contained story that has a lot more depth to it that I don't want to see the Babadook kind of change into something else. I'd rather just leave it the Babadook as it is. That's me personally. But, you know, people- it's already changed. Babadook's now a gay rights icon. Well, yeah, that's, that's different. That, and that's fine too. <laughs> changed how? I don't even know if I'm following. Oh, oh, uh, the Babadook became a gay icon. A gay oh, no, 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 icon. I know, I know that. But, but before you had said, I don't want to see the Babadook change. Do you mean like oh. change through sequels and stuff? Yeah, I don't want to see it come back. And because and, that, that's a contained story about the idea of dealing with your own personal you know, inner demons or, 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 or guilt and, and grief and, and, and all these other things. I, and, you know, yeah, you can redo that again, another story, but there's no point to it. I don't see why you'd want to. So not to make this about the Babadook, but I highly disagree because one of the cool things about the Babadook is that was so purely one character story and experience, but the idea of what the Babadook is and represents is literally in every single person. So I actually think it would be a real interesting experiment to make a, you know, anthology type film series about exploring many people's inner Babadooks. Sure, but I mean, then you're just then you're just trying to discover what their own personal issues <laughs> are. <laughs> and trick or treat. <laughs> but to go back to trick or treat, though, that's the there's so many people from the minute it came out that war, there was like, I, I want a series of Sam and that's all I need. I don't even need another, other pieces to it. I just want Sam and Sam alone. And it seems that like the calling has been so large for it in the fan base, but it hasn't really translated into any type of you know, product from there. Well, Michael Dorgan, kind of got busy. True. He but. got busy and it feels like things just were, were slow going with getting another film off the ground. There's been talk about it for so many years now. And I still feel like every single interview, even when he's promoting something as big as a Godzilla movie, he's still asked about it. You're going to make another trick or treat sometime soon. And I just, I think that the stars just haven't aligned, but I'm still betting they will at some point. But you don't, the question now is though, when it does come out, because eventually it's going to come out. Will Trick or Treat 2 be the same type? And that's the thing. Well, here's the thing about Trick or Treat. As we talk about it, like you're saying, as an anthology movie, yes, it has different stories going through it, but it's not a typical anthology movie. And that's what, that's what works well about it, that it's not trying to be Dead of Night, Tales from the Crypt movie, old school style from the, from the, the late 70s, early 80s. It, it's kind of just following different characters through the same story in a nonlinear fashion. So would a trick or treat two follow the same thing or would it be literally we start moving on to being like the Sam story and that's it? If they do a sequel, I think it follows the exact same format with different, uh, I guess, human characters and Sam is still the presence in the town. Oh yeah, this, ta- this town is basically as much of an icon as Sam. Like this is, I mean, it's, it, it really does have to be like there, that's his domain. These are his rules. Well, that's interesting. Do you see? You automatically would assume that Sam is just that town, that town only. But maybe Sam goes from town to town every year, which is why it's not a big talked about thing because it's now a completely different place. Because if it happened every year, people would be like, "What the fuck's going on?" <laughs> because he can now move from town to town, maybe, 
it makes it easier for him to kind of be the the odd like appreciate Halloween or else something's gonna happen to you, you know, creature. I could very much see Sam going from town to town. That would actually be, you know, as 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 much as I would love to go back to that town, I do have to agree that I I see the the possibilities for Sam traveling, and it would be like, okay, where would you want to where would you want to see him go? Well, the other the other thing about Sam being in that town is how you know they say they say in the movie that it's a pretty sleepy town, other than Halloween when everyone just descends and and it goes it goes nuts with the parade and everything. So I feel like that that alone kind of you know would make it so it's a little more realistic that nobody would talk about any of that after Halloween is over. Like I almost feel like. Like it, it almost like a little bit of a purge touch to it where the purge happens one night and everyone goes nuts <laughs> and talks about it and it's all over the news. But then every other day of the year, it's not necessarily something that's part of day-to-day conversation. Well, we also see some of these some of these victims are just kind of brushed aside because it's Halloween. People are already in, with wearing these gore effects and, you know, a principal's yes. covered in blood or a woman's wandering into this parade and she's bloodied and no one bats an eye about it. Or even what they say about the victims of the school bus massacre. It's like the town just didn't want to find them. Yeah. So this this town is, it seems to be like literally designed to make an entity like Sam thrive repeatedly. But oddly enough too, there are, I mean, because there are other other entities coming in the town because the, the werewolf women are, not from that place. They don't always go that. They go to different towns each year, which also I have to say, which is the one great big, I don't know if you want to call it twist, but I love the different version of it where it's a werewolf with wolves in sheep's clothing for the transformation instead of the transformation into a wolf. That I really love that. Yeah. Transformation still looks pretty good. I feel oh, like no, there's, it, there's it, only it, two, there's two shots in that sequence where I'm like, maybe you're showing a little too much of your wolf, but otherwise it's so beautifully done and it holds up very well. You know, I, I love the fact that they go, yeah, because every every time you hear have a werewolf in any movie, if it's a werewolf movie or just a werewolf in a movie, it's always about the transformation. So to change it into that whole wolves and sheep's clothing thing, I think was is is a great way of doing it without having to be the same. Really, really smart. There's just such a care in the practical effects that go into this movie. And that is part of why this ages so beautifully, like rewatching that, that is probably the centerpiece is that werewolf scene where you've just got everybody ripping their skin off and like, okay, I know how you're doing this, but it still thrills me every time I watch just all the skin flying and the fur and the fangs and ah. Do you, do you both have a favorite story within the story? I, I don't know if I would call it a favorite story because- A favorite they, segment. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know if I call it a favorite segment too. because I, for as much as I do enjoy the film and I do enjoy all those things I'm talking about, I have more of an issue with certain of like the, not specifics. I just like, I, I, find, it, I find it a little off kilter with how much it was trying to throw you off. So some parts of the stories within them don't, sit as well with me you know like i'm like well how come nobody found this before you know how come you know after how much stuff this principal is doing i can't believe you know all this has happened whatever it doesn't make a difference for those specific pieces but i love the costumes of the kids on the bus that's my favorite thing that kid's bag mask 
is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I absolutely am obsessed with it. School school bus massacre has always been my favorite segment. I think everything about that and how it's woven into the the full piece, and then watching uh, Brian Cox get you know get what he should at the end. It's just so it's so incredibly satisfying. Can I tell you one like? little detail though that really mm. does bother me that can't, that doesn't quite connect oh it's yeah please a little insignificant thing but you know like you know dad help me with the eyes so he buries his body and you know covers it with dirt and walks into the house with nothing in his hands and then his head is on a platter in their basement but that kid was still kind of alive yeah. in the grave <laughs> So how did the head get in the basement? <laughs> it is, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of differently small and even not like story points like that. Like I'm, for instance, I can't help but just be obsessed with why do they have all those prosthetics on Brian Cox's face? Like I understand making him up to look older, older and maybe more disheveled, but it looked like he was wearing a mask almost. And it like, just like confused me the whole time. I'm like, why? I, I Like there was actually one shot where you see like him near the fireplace and it actually looked like he was literally just wearing like a mask. And like, I don't know what that was all about. I've actually never noticed that. I thought that looked pretty natural and good to me. <laughs> no, it's not, even if it looked natural, it's just like, why give him that weird nose? Why like change Brian Cox's face that much? See, I noticed the facial disfigurement on the side this time. And again, it was nothing, it was like, okay, he's, he's got, you know, he's, he's been roughed up by the years. I didn't really think much of it. And he was, he was on the bus. Well, that too. Like he had to escape that thing. Maybe he was injured some way. It's, it's trick or treat, man. Warren Valley, Ohio clearly has a set of rules that it works by. And Mike, what's your favorite segment too, by the way? uh, I think surprise party is my favorite segment. Just, I love werewolf stories. Uh I love the transformations. Anna Paquin and that whole just pack are so amazing and just, the double entendres of the lines. Like I was listening to it all over again. And no matter how many times I watch this movie, it never stands out as, oh, they're trying to tell us something here. It's like, no, these are, this is a really, it it's cleverly skirts around the truth. And it's just beautiful dialogue that, you know, beautiful horror movie dialogue. Hmm. It's so interesting to me that you haven't seen this all the way through until now, because it's like kind of what you're getting at here, where um, like so much of the script is so expertly crafted to be like saying something, but saying something else and also saying something else that actually ties it all together in a really like smart, effective way or, you know. Whenever I watch a nonlinear story or an anthology with a wraparound component, I'm always sitting there what like. Like, what is the point? Why are you telling me this story in this format? And this is an example of a time where I think the nonlinear format actually enhances every single bit. I just remembered actually why I never watched it fully through the first time I sat to watch it. And I don't know if we talked about this before, but I, I have not thrown up in, well, in a few weeks, I've not thrown up in 31 years. So... Vomit is like my irrational up in a few weeks or is it your birthday in a few weeks? It's my birthday in a few weeks. Oh, okay. I just, I needed to make sure. So we, (laughs) I don't have a, I don't have a plan to vomit. (laughs) But so like, like if I watch a movie, if you're ever, if you're ever at a movie with me and you see me doing this, 
it's because I know somebody's about to vomit. And I just don't want to, even if it's the fakest thing in the world, like I don't like looking, even I know how, no, it's fake. I can watch the goriest thing in the world. I don't care. Show me somebody fake vomiting. It's just like, oh, I don't want to see that. So when that kid in the beginning just like went all over the place, I, I actually still don't know because I'm, I'm still, I still covered my eyes this time while watching it. I, the first time I watched it, I'm like, yeah, I can't do this right now. And then I just hadn't gone back for a while. And then caught this, then I caught the rest in pieces after that. That's why I didn't watch it the first time all the way through. I kind of get it. Because it, it does have a very like comical, overdone kind of feel to it. But the I don't want to make you uncomfortable now, but like the gurgling noises that are made in that scene are extremely effective and they make me a little squeamish. <laughs> And that's just one of those moments that th it really shows the film's sense of humor as well as its horror, because this thing is like on the edge of a coin. It'll make you laugh at one point and then it'll just turn on the creep at another. And, oh damn, I, I had a point I was, oh yeah. Um, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you earlier, sorry. No, it's okay, because I was just trying to remember, uh, since we're talking about, you know, the anthological nature, the wraparounds, why do you think, Horror is one of the best, one of the best, if not the premier genre that likes to use anthology storytelling or rap or wraparound segments. I don't know if this is the reason why, but for me personally, I think there are way too many horror films that have been made that don't work well in a long form format. I think that they're great stories in little bits, but when you try to flush it out, it's like you got to find all these ways to make it fit. And then become, they become more ridiculous at that point. They become more like, how can people not notice all of this that we're talking about with all the stuff going on? So the anthology version of it gives you the opportunity to tell those short stories where the story becomes more poignant than being flushed out into this forced hour and a half version. I definitely see your point there. But I'm... I'm hesitant to just box that idea into the horror genre specifically because I've seen so many good, you know, dramatic shorts with with good punchlines where if they had fleshed it out, maybe it would have meandered and not been as powerful. But I don't know, my mind immediately when you asked that went to the idea of, of financing and how, how, you know, how many people out there do we see get their start with horror movies because, you know, I... I think that the financing of that type of movie might be, and not that financing any movie is easy, but I think it might be a little easier. And then there, there's such a strong community that is going to receive it eventually. And I just feel like when it comes to the anthology format, I don't know, maybe this is just like my producer brain going into overdrive, but something about like financing these little short stories in the horror genre feels more like, realistic in terms of making the movie and then also distributing it. <laughs> True. I mean, to a certain extent, we saw Fear Street this year act as like a larger sort mm -hmm. of anthology. Yes, 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 Perry. I, yeah, Fear Street just, everyone, you, if you haven't- You're gonna regret saying Fear Street because that's all I'm gonna want to talk about. I still, have, I still haven't watched any of them. I still um, haven't watched any of them. I'm sorry, I've been busy. I think we need to do an episode oh. on it because I already feel like it's something that's just going to keep over the years because it's just so well done and just, yeah. Uh, I am full blown obsessed with that trilogy. I can't stop watching it. And I, I like at this point, I know too many details about it where all I can do is lay awake at night thinking about possibilities for expanding what they already started. Do you have to watch them in order or no? You yeah. should. 
They're, okay. de- they're de- very much designed to be watched in order. No, right. yeah, it is absolutely. And again, Trick or Treat and Fear Street do, do both overlap in the, se- in the sense that, yeah, it's an anthology, but they weave it together in just the right way mm-hmm. that it is this wonderful overarching story where you place things and to a point where it's, I, I think I've heard this compared to Pulp Fiction saying like, this is Halloween's Pulp Fiction in, in, the, in the storytelling sense. Not to go down the Fear Street paths too far, but I, I do think 1994 and 1978 are very successful pieces of the trilogy, but I think those stand on their own two feet extremely well, where if you watch just one, you'll have a very satisfying viewing experience. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, it, because they, they really do, especially because 78 is basically an extended uh, flashback that's told in its own way. And yeah, like that, that's another reason that that trilogy works so well is because each of them has that sort of different fabric and also the different timelines that they're telling. I mean, it, it actually speaks to why I think Trick or Treat works so well too, because even though they're like short little stories, they all feel very full to me. Like it's, it's incredible the runtime of the movie overall and how much they're able to convey and how real all these characters feel and how fleshed out this town and its history is. Yeah, uh, yeah. To go back to the point of like anthology movies and why horror is like a kind of like a, a home for anthologies is, you know, yes, like I said earlier, Trick or Treat, while being technically an anthology movie, does play much different than what you're used to in anthology movies. And because it, it kind of has one overarching storyline that's kind of wrapped in itself, where, yes, they do exist. Anthology movies exist in other genres, but they always were. I think it's also it's the way they're pitched. I don't think they're pitched by people who are trying to make money where the horror ones are. The horror ones, they know we can make, we can put it together, put it out, whether again, whether it's streaming to DVD or into the theaters and make money off of it, where stuff like Jim Jarmusch's Night on Earth or uh, David Wayne's The Ten make money by people who only know about it. And they're not there. They, they really don't make money. They're there just to like be works of art. And that's how people ingest them. And they don't make it big anywhere. This is also just designed to be the movie that you pass to your friends. I mean, mm-hmm. as much as I, I still, I would love for Fathom. I mean, we're, I think we're coming up on almost the, I think we, oh no, we just passed the 10th anniversary. I would love Fathom to put this in theaters because it's never been widely theatrical. I yeah. want to watch this. And, and I've, I'm, I'm going to keep dipping back into the well because I have made a new friend in terms of this subject matter. I want Fear Street to go to theaters too. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing one that. Saturday that is just all run one by one by one. I would definitely watch that. This the the poster over my shoulders from the screening they did at the Egyptian. I actually was not physically there because I wasn't living in LA at the time, but someone got me that poster because they knew how obsessed I was with it, and uh, and they sent it to me, and now I adore it. But actually, uh, I've never seen Trick or Treat on the big screen, and it feels really sad. <laughs> but at the same time, but at the same time, it's kind of cool that this did sort of have that, uh, I guess, sort of bad kid energy where it's like, well, we got to put this on DVD because you can't watch this. <laughs> kids die here and like bad things happen. So don't watch this, okay? This is the movie Warner Brothers doesn't want you to see. So don't, don't, don't watch it. Oh, maybe that really did uh, fuel the, the cult classic vibe that the movie has now. But that's also the reason why it's here being considered an overdue rental because it didn't get that even if it didn't do well, let's say if it was put in the theaters, it didn't get that option. It didn't get the promotion through the papers the way 
anything going to the theater would do, radio, TV, whatever it may be. So that's another reason why, like where Fear Street is, is a little different because it goes straight to streaming and people talked about it when it first came out, when it first hit. Uh, and it may still not be, may be a big mainstream name for people who don't know and don't have certain things pop up on there. You probably would like this list. It still gets a little more play than Trick or Treat did. Yeah. But again, that's, that's something that's really going to be, I'm really want to see where that's at around Halloween and especially next Halloween, like where mm. Fear Street sits in sort of the collective because it has that potential to last but streaming is just such a weird beast. Like at least when this came out on, on DVD, there was more time for it to catch on. I'm very convinced Fear Street is lasting. I'm, I'm usually, when I do reviews, I'm very hesitant to use big words. Like, you know, it's like, it's a masterpiece. This is gonna become like a, a, a genre icon, like one of the best horror trilogies ever. Like I applied all that terminology to my assessments of Fear Street. I really do believe quality wise it's there. And I think that it sparked the fandom on initial release to like, be a big thing for years and years to come. I think the obsession is very much there and between the obsession and the quality of the films, it is gonna carry it well into the future of being you know, up there with some of the best of the best. Absolutely agree. And how is this movie, how was Trick or Treat made for $12 million in 2009? I can tell you that people like Brian Cox, people like Dylan Baker, um, you know, um, Anna Paquin, you know, they're, they're all people who will sign on to something and take, you know, the, the, the um, union pay a minimum if they, if they feel that it's going to be something worthwhile to them. Well, also, so you, you save money there. Also, two out of those three have a connection to this film that unfortunately has not aged well because Brian Singer is an executive producer on this film. Uh, see, I didn't even notice that when I was, I didn't even see his name. I didn't, I didn't notice. But that's all we have to really mention about that, other than he's a uh, Sorry, you know what, I should, Perry, though, what were your thoughts on Mike's question there before I- Oh, the, wait, 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 are we talking about the money? <laughs> yeah, the money, yeah. It's always about the money here. <laughs> Isn't it about that everywhere? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that conversation always gets me all, all like, uh, like the wheels in my head spinning out of control because I'm someone who really loves box office prognostication, <laughs> but I'm always like, don't value the money over the art. And those, those two sides of my brain don't go together very well, but you know, this, like, this looks like a movie that you could pull off for, for $12 million to me. I feel like I could see a million and one examples on screen of how they, you know, they took a, a relatively small budget compared to certain other horror movies out there and they, they made the most of it. I mean, this is so much of what makes this movie special is about the, the practical effects, not bathing things in CG. And, and so much of it, so much of it has texture because of, a, of an attention to detail. And that's not necessarily something that requires all the money in the world. It, it, it requires a thorough understanding of your characters in the world that you're building. And it requires a team of people who want to get behind that idea of what you're trying to do just as much as you do. And I feel like that's what we're seeing here. All the departments coming together and really understanding what Mike wanted to build. That's the thing, I mean, you, mentioned it a, you mentioned it a few times, you mentioned it again just there. It's not just that they're practical effects, you know, we'll call it at this point puppetry, I think almost, in, in the best way possible, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's, it's childish in any way whatsoever, but they're 
they're featured, but they're also brief, but not to the point where you feel like they were wasted. Like everything's on screen for the right amount of time where, where it doesn't feel like you had to spend much beyond we created it, it looks good, and we can go. Yeah. Oh, there's a kid playing Sam, Quinn Lord. Like he was in, he was in that suit. <laughs> was, there, was there a teenager though or an adult playing him when he jumped on Brian Cox? He looked 10 times larger. I mean, I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's some elements where there's maybe some visual effects work and or a stunt person involved. But I think I actually interviewed like Quinn way back in the day when the movie <laughs> came out about his experience playing Sam. He was like probably a teeny tiny child. But he still had, but he still had that face. Oh, that pan moving around, you know, <laughs> but when, when the face, when, when it happened, of course, you know, um, I love that reveal. Yeah. <laughs> like out of all the reveals in this movie, like I, I, that is one of the ones that every time that face, and it's one of those things where even if there, there's, there's something I kind of hate about post release marketing, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to reissuing on Blu-ray or sending to streaming one of those, the, you know how they do those slip covers where it's like, they'll show like the face of the character. Trick or Treat has Sam's pumpkin face on it. Really? And I'm kind of annoyed by that. And then when I pulled it up on HBO Max to watch it again, they have uh, a still photo of what, it, it kind of looks like maybe like set photography and it's Anna Paquin with the contacts and everything and Dylan yeah. Baker looking freaked out. And it's just like, these are things that I, I don't, want that on there that's understandable but I, I actually i'll be honest with you maybe because i just wasn't looking i didn't notice any of that when i pulled it up on it which is currently streaming on hbo max as of the time of recording yes um which i'm sure will go all the way through halloween so by the time you're listening to this too it should be there yeah and it's a warner product so it'll probably like phase in and out here yeah. and there although i need that scream factory uh blu-ray because i do not actually physically own a copy of this and it's a family, it is actually a family favorite. Like my brothers and I love watching this every year. It's, it's kind of like another Hocus Pocus. Did either of you see the companion short? Does it give any more season story of Sam at all or no? You're talking about season greetings or season's greetings. Is that what, that's what it's called? I couldn't remember. Yeah, a very but... long time. It, wait, it, the compa like a companion short and there's also the comic too. The, there's the comic, which is kind of like another anthology, but I think the short Matthew's talking about was the original, like, I think it was Michael Dougherty's senior thesis or greeting card that he did. And like, that what it was? I yeah, think you was, might be right. It was like a prototype for this. I mean, I don't know. I know we're not looking for a specific story behind the character at all, but I'm just wondering if it did do anything would, else different. I would watch a movie about how Sam became Sam in a heartbeat in a heart it's like while we were merging this conversation with a fear street conversation <laughs> all i kept thinking about is like sam sam is a, a shady side killer and he's got a whole story like that and then just comes back and he's part of the group i might see again head spinning out of control <laughs> in my mind i see him more as a creation of like look michael made, went and made krampus which krampus is a real technical fictional you know folklore but I feel like Sam is just like the Halloween version where he's just there to make sure you follow Halloween rules. And so he's kind of this entity that exists in an ethereal world. Deep down, I think you're right. But I like my, my Fear Street fan fiction that I'm creating right now. <laughs> yes, because he would hang out with, with uh, Billy in a heartbeat. 
like just Billy's got his bat, Sam's got his lollipop. It's 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 like yeah. Krampus does not get the attention it deserves either. I well, feel we're like we're working on that too. We're working on we're yeah. working on something for that. Yeah, especially because that's another one that's getting shout factory goodies. Oh and really? Hot. I have a, a Krampus sweatshirt behind that door. I was prepared for this whole episode. <laughs> Every oh. reference we make, there's something in this room, I guarantee you. But yeah, there's uh there there's like I think Michael Dougherty's preferred cut is supposed to be coming out and it's gonna be on 4K Blu-ray as well. I need that. It was supposed to be this November, but for some reason they've undated it. And mm -hmm. I'm really hoping it's not a case of, yeah, well, we don't have the rights to that other cut. Sorry. Mm. Like, like that whole debacle with uh, they're re-releasing David Lynch's Dune. And one of the distributors was like, yeah, we're not going to release it with the, the documentary that this company has been working on all this time. And they're like, dude, we said if you delayed for a couple of weeks, you'd be able to have it on your release. And they're like, no, 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 no. Everyone's fine, apparently. And just, it's it's really weird how repertory releases, like even in theaters or even on home video, the rights just get so weird. I don't want to get on a completely different note here, talking about something completely different. But since you bought Duna, Yes, of course, I'm going to see the new version of Dune. And sure, it may be visually striking, but Dune as a story is one of those one of those things that I never understood why people love it so much. I find it kind of hokey, and I find it kind of silly, the story. So I don't know if I'm going to care about any version of Dune at that point, unless somehow there was secretly a Jodorowsky's Dune that got made, and they just won't release it. I'll watch that. <laughs> what do you what is your, what's your Dune background? Have you watched anything or read the source material? I, 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 I've seen Lynch's version of the film. I have not read the entire book because I just can't get into it at all. And it's a lot, it's a lot of these, like I love fantasy, sci-fi stuff, but when all of them come down, and I know Dune is kind of an originator for this. So I'm not trying to make it sound like it's derivative. But like the whole thing with that or like the, his dark material stuff where it's like spice, dust, you know, it's just like when they start making this shit up, like, and it's just that stupid fucking like, oh, I, I can't even, I, I, I'm getting flustered because I just, I, it makes me want to like strangle something. Just a thought, could, could maybe have watch, watching the movie influenced how you're reading the source material because like I'm not the I'm not the biggest Dune fan in the world but I feel like I'm actually halfway through the book right now trying to prep for the movie's release and I'm listening to it on audiobook mm -hmm. and I have found that that has been a much more effective way for me to lose myself in the material rather than for me to judge my reading based on the film but that's the thing, like, I, I can see where you're coming from. And I'm not saying that it maybe did or didn't. Um, because there are plenty of things that I find follow the same lines that I do love. Like, other people would look at and go, like, that's so silly. But I'm like, no, what are you talking about? It's amazing. But there's just something about that concept where it seems like in the real world, it would be, you know, to be really simple about it. Let's say it was gold. And then just, like, call it spice and go spice mining. And all this other junk around it, and then and then and that, and that flourishes into the rest of the story. It just kind of feels—I don't want to say hokey, even though I said it already—but it just feels flaccid to me. 
as far as being enjoyed uh, by by something that's trying to stimulate me. Makes me yep. super curious to know what you see in the new movie when you get around to it. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. We'll see. I well, I don't think I'm going to see it till the till New York Film Festival. I guess that's when I'm going to see it. I have no clue. But you know what isn't hokey and flaccid? Trick or treat. Because $12 million, 82 minutes, and yet every inch of this film, every inch of the whole thing just feels lived in. And it's not like a 12 million where it's like, oh, well, we had to hang some sheets and you can't, things are obscured just enough where it's like, oh, okay, you, you really wanted to obscure that effect because it really didn't work. It's like, no, the nighttime aesthetic of this really works. Like that vomit is one of the things that real. I'm sorry, Matthew. No, I'm saying I won't know because I, I, I oh, I, I've never actually seen it. That's why I apologize because I know it's such a thing with you, but just the way that it works in a nighttime scene is part of what makes it so damn funny and terrifying. And, and even just Sam's face is something where you could, you could still do that in the middle of the day. It would look cool but it's done by firelight and but it's it's more aesthetic choices versus budget choices because even though they had a limited budget the choice you, you still feel the choices are made with confidence not with trickery it's not a shell game hmm. very much agree with that i'm i'm still so distracted by your a plus transition there i tried <laughs> i really tried <laughs> uh, but you brought up you brought up hocus pocus and i think you just used the the phrase lived in and i think that's part of the reason why this movie speaks to me so much because you know i was a kid who grew up watching hocus pocus on repeat and when you know <laughs> i thought about the fictional movie worlds that i wanted to live in it was primarily hocus pocus and jurassic park those movies that felt like they were fully fleshed out worlds with a reach out and touch it kind of feel and you know as an adult watching trick or treat i have the same feeling here it's like if I could physically put myself in this movie and live in this town for Halloween, regardless of the risks, I would do it. It makes me happy existing within this world. Well, there's two and things. You would that. survive. Yeah, you would. You would definitely survive. Right. Obviously, <laughs> because you know what? That's that's another one of the things I love about this movie. Rhonda. Rhonda <laughs> is one of my favorite characters in this, and the reason she survives, and that's that's a story I would love to see told. Because there's got to be, she has got to be related to some sort of supernatural entity or her family has ties to it because well, she knows the rules, she lives by them, and Sam respects her for it. Well, well that's the thing, though. And then we talked about this. And yes, we say that Perry would survive and Ron would survive Sam's wrath. But we don't know about if they came up against, uh, what was what's, what's, what's Dylan Baker's uh, character name? Was Wilkinson? Wil I can't remember his name now. What Principal was Stephen Wilkinson. Stephen Wilkinson. Of course, he's a Steve. <laughs> if you came across yeah. any of them or a pack of werewolves or something like that, it may be a different story. See, that's that's why the Ronda, mm -hmm. I still think Ronda would, would prevail. I mean, she just, she is, she's written as such a, a wonderful, heartfelt character that really doesn't, want to fuck with anyone else well where are Does her parents <laughs> i see i think well, that's there were no reason for her parents to get involved in the film i'll, yeah, I'll give them a pass on that one but Ron, like Rhonda, just so so much so speaks to the halloween lover in me and the and the respect i have for the holiday whether it's you know wanting to avoid a, a sam spirit or just like 
wanting others to take part in something that I love so much. Like, I feel like watching this movie, it, it appropriately frustrates me that certain individuals like smash pumpkins and blow the jack-o'-lanterns out. And, and Rhonda just like, there's that connection there when I watch the movie. She speaks to me more than the other characters do. And I think it's designed like that. Rhonda and Danny from Hocus Pocus and, would be And best Sam, for that matter. Like, th this is the weird thing. So Sam is the slasher of the movie. He, he kills people. There, there is, I'm not going to go as far to say like a, a goodness in Sam, but there, there is something, I guess, charming to a Halloween and a horror movie lover about his agenda and what he's out to do and who he chooses to go after and why that, that makes him, yes, a villain, but, but an oddly lovable one. Well, that's he the has principles. That's the question though, because... Sam shows up as Rhonda's leaving the quarry. The kids that were trying to trick Rhonda get their fate not from Sam, obviously. But was Sam there to originally take care of them for some reason? Because technically, were they breaking any of the Halloween rules? I don't know if they were or not. Well, but one of them did no. take the jack-o'-lantern over. Yeah, but that was not on purpose, right? Yeah, on purpose. He just did it like thoughtlessly. Like he kicks the jack-o'-lantern over and that's what triggers the spirits when, to come after them. Oh, is that what, I don't know if that, is that what triggered the spirits to come after them though? I, I think that that pumpkin was protecting them. And I think because the moment he, get, that thing is done, they come up. You think, you think Sam turned them into something real? Like maybe if nothing else happened, there were no ghosts. There were nothing that could happen to people down there. The kid took it over, and Sam then made them come to come to fruition to be real. Oh no, I think I think that was going to happen whether Sam was there or not. Sam is just so, Sam is drawn to these sort of entities because again, you just see him sitting on a log when the vampire, what vampires, the werewolves are going at it. Although vampires would be great for another one, uh, just seeing the werewolves go at their prey, he's just sitting there on a log watching. I think he's always there no matter what but he is sort of the, the rule, but he's, he's the hall monitor of Halloween, basically. If it looks like I just disappeared, it's because I, I do this often when I think about this movie, I should probably just write everything out and settle it once and for all, but sometimes <laughs> I think about the, the order of everything. Cause I, I like to think of that moment and I'm not sure if it, it makes sense chronologically, but when you have that moment where Rhonda's leaving and Sam's going in, I like to think of it as, Sam kind of helping the kids from the bus get up from the quarry and then mm. go over to Brian Cox's house. But, but part of me thinks that, that the Brian Cox death might've, might've happened a little earlier. Well, I'm trying to, yes. I don't know, because I think at the yes. end of the movie, at the end of the movie, when we actually see the beginning of the movie technically is right after he leaves Brian Cox's house and right after we see Rhonda also pass by, it all happens in one shot. Okay, so I think what happens is it's the married couple kill first. No, they're well, last. That's in the movie, they're last. Well, actually, oh, right. he's not killed. Yeah. She's only only Leslie Bibbs killed. So, so Brian Cox definitely dies before. Yeah. They carve they carve Charlie's head in the other house, which means that Stephen dies after. Yep. And the kids who go to the quarry, they visit Stephen's house trick or treating. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to start again because I. I there's something okay. that doesn't sound right. So, 
Leslie Bibb, Leslie Bibb definitely dies last. That's, yes. that's like, that's a done deal. But otherwise, the way the movie plays out is Brian Cox is supposed to be being killed while Steven is doing the whole, like, like help, help him with the eyes kind of thing. Yes, yeah. okay, because you already saw him in the window getting attacked. You already saw him through the fence. Exactly. And that's when Brian Cox is official. That's when the kids then, the bus visit Brian Cox. It would make sense that the reveal of the werewolves would have to happen after all of that. So the question is, where does School Bus Massacre fit chronologically? I think that's because, at the end. Hmm? Because the ki- I think that might be at the end because well, the kids visit trick-or-treating. They visit uh, Stephen trick-or-treating, don't they? Well, no, well, technically, we first they- see them when... Well, we first don't necessarily first see them. We first see them get together when the one kid who was collecting the pumpkins meets with the other three, and he says somebody had just knocked a bunch down, which was yeah. the kid from the beginning. Yeah, because we also see Sam come over after he kills the bus driver to see Stephen. Sam gets his candy. The the kids that are going to summon the bus spirits get the candy. Then they go to the Halloween party where the gym teacher's butt fucking someone with a hot dog costume. Never pass up an opportunity to say a line like that on a podcast. However, though, they were at the party in the woods, the werewolves, because the hot dog costume is there being murdered. So then they probably, so that yeah. happens. That happens after the kids visit to pick up the candy. You're right, Perry. This needs to, we, this needs to just, there's a chronology that needs to be written out and done. There's something, like, I feel like someone out there is going to be, you dumb, dumb, how did you not see this? And I'm going to see what the right way is. But, and I, and I don't know, it might, this might also just come from the fact that I've watched the movie so many times and I've kind of drilled into my own head what I just mentioned about Sam helping facilitate those kids getting, getting the bus driver once and for all. Hmm. But I, like, something doesn't quite line up there. I mean, well, yeah, but also because technically if, if you want to believe the way the story's made out before you see the kids come back to get Brian Cox, you have to believe that because technically he quote unquote gave him the candy, Sam left them alone. So if that didn't happen, Sam would have killed him. Sam would have stabbed him and he would have been dead and those kids never would have come to get Brian Cox. But now that I'm thinking about it, the Brian Cox segment has a later on thing. There's, there's a passage of time. So Sam, Sam attacks him, leaves the house, goes to the quarry, sees Rhonda leaving, gets the, gets the school bus massacre kids and, and maybe points them in the right direction. And yeah, then he's there to watch he, them. He that actually, the hospital, he's got all the bandages on. Somebody came and took true. care of him. I'm glad we're talking about this. I feel much better now. I'm pretty sure that's it. Even still, I completely forgot about the passage of time part. I don't know. It's, it's very strange. You, you know, there's, let me ask you this question. I'm going to change up the subject a little bit, though, because I thought about this earlier, and then we got off on talking about all the other points. If and when the sequel does come out, would you be interested in, if it was a different town or even the same town, same actors, different characters? Yeah, I think I would. I think I'd be fine with that. It, it, would, even, it would even be really cool to get the grown up, get the kids from that first movie Mm. that are probably all grown up by now to get, like, see them as different characters. It'd be, that would be kind of cool. I'm going to say a no on that. Okay. Because I feel like maybe I'm just exhausted by American Horror Story doing that. True. There's something, there's something about that form. It's like, I like the idea of 
you know, whether Sam is confined to this town or not. I like the idea of, of Sam facilitating good Halloween behavior in another town. And, and my, my overly logical brain has a tough time processing the idea that these same actors, but in different characters can exist elsewhere. So just as someone, and this isn't like very creatively forward, but as someone who likes things neat and organized in a specific way, that just doesn't sit as well with me. Because the way I was thinking about it is they would come back as people who, again, different characters, but appreciated the Halloween. So they wouldn't be they wouldn't be hurt because when I see that when, when the movie starts off and I see Dylan Baker, I love see, here's the thing. I love Dylan Baker. I always think he's one of the most underrated actors in the entire world. Yes. But when I see him in a role like this, I automatically think like he's being slightly typecast. I think of things like happiness where he is this really disgusting pedophiliac. And it's just like, I don't want to see him kind of keep getting, so I want to see him back in something like this again, but be the opposite, be the happy-go-lucky person who gets, a, who's, you know, gets along with everybody and doesn't have anything to worry about. You know what I mean? You're not, I mean, you're not wrong with that because I could bring back American Horror Story and there, there is something very cool about seeing certain actors go from playing, you know, like a character on one end of the spectrum to doing something completely different the next season. It's, it's just- I've only ever seen the first they've, season- They've of done that to story. death after 10 seasons. Yeah, I, I've only ever seen yeah. the, first, the first season. I tried to watch the second one. I just like, I don't really care. And I just never the watched it. The first season is still my favorite. Still my favorite. I actually like what they're doing so far in season 10 with Double Feature though. So I should give it a little more credit than I might be right now. And I love that. I, like I keep coming back for more. Clearly I love American Horror Story, but- They've taken some some very big swings and and done those same swings so many times over at this point that I'm like come on already. But I say that with love in my, I say that with love in my heart. <laughs> but yeah, I I I do kind of see the reticence because it would be really cool if they attract some and like maybe some really big names or fans of the movie. Like maybe we could get Hugh Jackman in Trick or Treat <laughs> or. You know, Mike Michael Dorgan could bring anyone he's worked with within the MonsterVerse, like Kyle Chandler's in there, or Millie Bobby Brown. You know. Yeah, Open I mean, I just, I, I think there are people like Hugh Jackman. I think maybe hesitant after movie forty three and stuff like that. It'd be hard to get him into something anthology like. Oh, about that movie in a minute. <laughs> I, I I don't think I've ever mustered the courage to watch that, and I usually run towards disasters like that. Yeah, I never. I don't think I've. I've seen, I, mean, I think I've seen a few clips of some of them before, but I just. I, I just don't care, I guess. Even if even if I thought it'd be good, you know, I don't care. Oh, I went to the theater and I saw that. And I vividly remember I saw that back to back with Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which I love. <laughs> Thank thankfully that movie watched the uh, the taste of movie 43 out of me. Oh, that reminds me of the time I saw Ratchet and Clank for a press screening and then went straight to Purple Rain after that. Wait, wait, what? It was the weekend that Prince had passed. So AMC's like, yeah, we're doing Purple Rain this weekend. And Ratchet and Clank was so awful that it's like, okay. Are you talking about Ratchet and Clank with the video game characters? Yes, there there's was. A movie? A, there's a Ratchet and Clank movie? Yeah, yeah if you can call it that, because it was, it actually felt like, it, I think it was even just the cutscenes from the new game thrown together as a film. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about I was it. completely unaware this existed. I think it's, it, it, it felt like that, but I, I don't know if that's the truth of it. And I'm ever, I'm really pissed off because that's what canceled the Sly Cooper movie, apparently. And I would have watched a Sly Cooper movie, even if it was bad. I would have at least watched it the one time. This all reminds. This has nothing to do with any of this. But this all reminds me of that time that it was the it was the all media screening for Happy Happy Town Murders, whatever it was called. 
Yes. They knew the movie was going to be so bad that they told us we can go to the concession stand and order anything we wanted as much as we wanted. They literally, there was no limit. You can go and order everything double before we sat down to watch the movie because they knew it was that bad. I despise that movie. I love that movie. Oh, oh, oh I'm with Perry. Sorry. Sorry, Mike. Oh my. That's actually I, on my list. I I'm try never to judge anyone one. for liking a movie that I don't, but wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't get it. I don't, sorry, bro. Yeah, that one, that one was, uh, was a rough one that year for me. Conversation for another day. But, you know, at the very least, there is a sense of love in this room for Trick or Treat. Oh, without a doubt. And that is ultimately, that is the season that we are heading into. I mean, as, as far as, you know, my wife and I are concerned, we've kind of already been planning and celebrating since July. Because it's like, okay, we lost one last year. So let's just have a double, double Halloween. So July is your double, double Halloween? No, July. It was just like, okay, July through. Let's, let's just think about Halloween and just think of I've, some way to celebrate it. I've never been that person to like, I mean, yes, if I'm sitting at home and not having anything to do and I happen to have cable and sci-fi is showing, like I think today, Labor Day, I think they was having they were having a, a child's play um, uh, festival. Ooh. But yeah, so I'll sit and watch it, but I've never planned out or had, like I'm not one of those people who watches one horror movie a night for every day of October kind of thing. I never really, I never really did any, I never really kind of played for me that way. So I, I'm just like, or if I see something, I see something, I don't care. I've never, I've never done the one movie a night for October type thing, but I think it's because I watch so many of them, it feels <laughs> unnecessary, but I do, I do very much make a point. Every Halloween, I have to watch Trick or Treat. Oh. I don't care if it's like, if it means of getting up at the crack of dawn to squeeze it in before work. Like I must watch that movie at least once within that 24 hour span, no matter what. I know I'm going to get backfire for this because I'm sure there's plenty of things that I'm forgetting about. And we kind of mentioned it earlier, I think, though, but that, that's a funny thing because besides Halloween film series, you know, how many movies really are revolving around Halloween? So I'll get shit for this, but I am a firm believer that The Nightmare Before Christmas is both a Christmas and a Halloween movie. How will you get that. shit for that when it's science? I mean, science. people take very firm stances on that argument. And I know there's a lot of people out there that because the bulk of the movie does revolve around Christmas, the holiday, and Jack coming to understand Christmas, that they file it into a Christmas movie. Yeah, but at the same time, he's the king of Halloween. I know. And, and in a sense, it celebrates both holidays. So you should be able to consider it a Christmas and Halloween. That's, that is my stance. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I just know that there are many who insist that I keep it to a Christmas movie. But it's let, them, let them go be wrong in the annals of history <laughs> and the fires of uh, building yourself. There's, that's just wrong. Hocus Pocus, because we already brought it up as a pretty sure. good one. Yes. I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. I've never seen Hocus Pocus. And like, like for instance, earlier when you were talking about you, were the, you, know, you grew up watching Hocus Pocus and Jurassic Park on-, on I know, Perry, on I know. Pete. I'm the type of, this is where I'm, I guess I'm screwed up maybe, or what? I was the kid who, the movie I watched on repeat when I was a kid was Clockwork Orange. Oh. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just weird like that. When, when you said you had never seen uh, Hocus Pocus, there was a very specific look of disappointment that washed over my face. And Sorry. it's 
not like a lot of times when someone says that about something that I love, like it's been happening the most, uh, most recently with Ted Lasso, I actually get very disappointed, but excited because that means that person is going to get to experience something that's so good for the first time. I, I can't say what? that with the same amount of confidence in Hocus Pocus, because I know that I put it on a pedestal partially because of nostalgia. And I don't know if it'll have the same effect on you as an adult. I'll fully admit that. Well, that's why I never kind of watched it in general, because it came out in a time where for my mentality, I had, I had grown past it. Like I, 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 my grow my years of growing up hit this weird place where there were certain of my friends who followed a certain mainstream thing very much as if it was, I don't want to say their age range because that feels weird, but like I thought when Power Rangers became big, I was past it. I have a lot of friends that that was their childhood still. And I don't get it because I, I, I felt like I had outgrown those things by that point. So I never paid attention to them. Why did you make those rules for yourself as a child? You must have missed out on so many. Make, well, no, but I had, other th- I had other things before that, which I loved. It's just that like, Power Rangers came out. I'm like, oh, who gives a shit? I watched Voltron. I have Voltron. So I don't Bye. need Power Rangers. Power Rangers but, is so good. But I'm, Power Rangers came out when I was like 15, 16 years old. Like, I, All right. All right. That's fair. Rangers, fair. Oh, we should put Power Rangers on the list. Because <gasps> the 2017 Power Rangers is it's so, so good. good. I still haven't seen so it. So good. You, you should that's do not a whole, That's not me shunning it just because I just happen to have not seen it. You should do a whole episode for Dean Israelite movies because Power Rangers is very good. And so is Project Almanac. And that I movie did not get near. That was okay. I've never was just not as bad as I was Almanac. expecting it to be. Oh, I thought it's that was a, a very, a very good spin on an overused st- style of filmmaking at that point. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't dislike it. I just didn't think it was amazing, the kind of thing. You know, that's, that's how I felt about Project Almanac. All right, all right. Well, now I need Power, to see Project Dominic. Power Rangers is amazing, though. The moment that the theme kicks in in Power Rangers was the ultimate moment. Like, I went into that slow side, just quick, yeah. quick side conversation. I went into that movie. It's like, okay, great. The bring it back Power Rangers. This is cool. Yay. Starts off really good. Starts off solid. It's like, okay, cool. Could have used more Brian Cranston as, as Zordon, but I still love the fact that they had him in there. Elizabeth Banks is a great Rita. It gets to that the hero shot and in an instant it's like okay you i just didn't have patience and i'm a damn fool this works wonderfully i want that next movie and then they they nailed that particular beat but but overall they you know they assembled a great charming group of new characters or you know new characters in those roles and it's it's really unfortunate that it didn't get to go on to to have a second film because i thought they teed that up quite nicely i feel like if anything, Power Rangers just suffered because of the release slot. I mean, Beauty and the Beast was just dominating. And yeah. maybe if they had found a different time of year to release it, it would have it would have popped as much as it needed to in order to justify the price tag of a sequel. If Marvel didn't already dominate April and May, that probably would have been the perfect time because that's when you have the comic book geeks, geeks out. You have the summer blockbuster season starting it's like ever since that sort of those stakes went into the ground where Marvel's like early summer, late in the year, we're going here. Everybody has to try and figure out where to go from that point. Like maybe even in August, like an early August slot might have gotten them. I think you, you have to save it for the Power Rangers episode, Mike, right? I mean, oh, yeah, we don't want oh, we don't. 
yeah, there is a Power Rangers episode now. So the world's just going to have to deal with my madness. Till then, though, Trick or Treat is the film you should be going and crossing off your overdue rentals list. Thank you, Perry, for joining us. Where can people find you if they need to find you? All over the place. I am on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and go on the uh, Collider YouTube channel and watch Collider Lady Night. And Mike, where can people find us? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, besides, I just, I, all right, I'm, before I get into that business, I'm just going to say I kind of, I almost wish Jurassic Park was an overdue rental because our kindredness with that film, I would, I just, I need to talk that out. It's maybe we should do some sort of side project for blockbusters. Well, we were, we were going to, eventually that's going to happen. We, we have talked about that. Okay. But yeah, so that's like automatically like the only person that could trump Perry is if Sam Neill comes in and is like, oh, I heard you guys were doing a Jurassic Park. Yeah. I was wondering. <laughs> All right. So uh, people can find us on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook and TikTok at Overdue Rentals, on Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show. And if you want to send us love letters, suggestions, reviews, be sure to rate us, subscribe to us, and send us emails at overdurentals at gmail.com. Perry, thanks again for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Yes, thank you for having me. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye.